Welcome to the Beltway Broadcast, the premier podcast for the workplace learning and talent development professionals of the Association for Talent Development's Metro DC chapter. We've got some great resources in store for you today. Hello, fellow ATDers. I'm Leticia Niago, and I serve as the 2021 Vice President of Learning for the Metro DC chapter of the Association for Talent Development. And I'm Christina Eanes, Director of Virtual Programs. And I am Stephanie Hupka, and I am the Vice President of Finance. We also have Helena Hodges, who's our Director of Technology and Operations, as our producer. For today's episode, we are going to interview Innovation Coach and Chief Revenue Officer at Allen Interactions, Inc., and founder of Problem Solutions, Mike Herska. Welcome, Mike. Thank you for having me. Before we jump into our topic of design thinking, please share a little bit about yourself so that our listeners can find out exactly who you are and why you're here today with us. Uh, I'll be completely honest. Um, some of these terms that I might use to describe myself may be considered pejorative, but I, I'm I'm a geek. I got to tell you, and I love and I love design, and and I'm a bit nerdy about all things related to technology and the way that, that they intersect with our you know human experience. I I grew up reading encyclopedias when I was really young and it became fascinated with points in time around how technology changes. Honestly, my grandfather bought me a set of encyclopedias from the 1940s when I was six and later from the 1970s. And I just read all these books and said, look how much the world changed. This is so interesting. And so I fell in love with change, which brought me to this idea of design because design is how we think about and get excited about change. Words help us look the same direction uh, on a team or in an organization, but visualization helps us to see the same thing. So I uh, spent a few years at the National Institute of Standards and Technology and started a company in 2004 and have been involved in learning and standards and design and technology uh, for a long time. I still don't know what I want to do when I grow up, but I sure do like it now. <laughs> Interesting. I know a lot of people feel that way. So let's tap into your expertise for our listeners. For those who don't have a lot of information on this and who haven't heard much about this, what is design thinking? So when I was at NIST, I was involved a lot in quality and my brother was a collaborator there with me uh, for a few years. And we came to this conclusion that everyone thinks quality is a set of documents and where quality is really a mindset that we approach with tools. So in, in that thinking, you know, design thinking is a set of tools and methods to visualize a problem space, explore potential solutions, prototype those solutions on paper. It's a very inclusive thing where you're using uh, canvases or post-its or maybe now in today's age, something like Mural to start to visualize something. But it helps you to uh, tame complexity. It helps you to think through uh, empathy for a person or uh, developing a persona for a customer or thinking about designing a learning experience or thinking about designing transformation for your organization. You know, design thinking came out of a lot of the product design stuff. Um, IDEO has been doing design thinking for years. The Luma Institute you know, provides training for it. But there's a lot of things that you can go out on your own and pick up and just kind of start running with. And there's there's a ton of good books, which I'm sure I'll be dropping and recommending along the way. But it's, the, it's a toolkit that helps if you have a designer mindset to enable you to get others to collaborate, to visualize, to prototype, to test, and, and, and to design the future. 
Great. So interesting. So how does design thinking fit into the entire learning ecosystem? Well, so, you know, learning ecosystem is, uh, sounds very simple to say as words. Uh, when we think about that, if you unpack that, that's really a place where people process for defining what we need and designing it. Measurement analytics, experiences are all connected with technology and aligned with the business strategy in some ways. When you unpack it to all of those elements, boy, it means a whole lot more stuff needs to be considered in some ways. And so as, you know, as I mentioned, Maybe you're trying to design something for an onboarding um, experience, or maybe you're trying to align the um, talent and assets you have in your organization to define your organizational model uh, for delivery. Whether you're looking at people and using things like empathy maps or personas, or you're, you're looking at process and using different tools to visualize your processes, or you're looking at experiences, even measurement and analytics, all of, the, all of those things, design thinking tools can be used to not just understand them as individual components, uh, but be able to understand them and visualize their complexity you know, in, a, in a single page. I, there's a really popular design thinking tool in the startup ecosystem called the Business Model Canvas. Great book by Alexander Osterwater called Business Model Generation. Basically, the idea was, well, you could write a big business plan, but if you have these nine elements really well-defined and you're able to visualize them, you could just keep iterating in some meaningful way. So uh, taken that work and adapted that and built something uh, called the Learning Ecosystem Canvas, which helps to visualize the space of people, process, measurement, analytics, experience, technology, and business strategy, and give uh, learning professionals the um, opportunity to have participatory conversations and collaborative conversations you know, with the business uh, to be able to think where we are, think around the corner, come back a little bit and tell us how to get there. Wow, super interesting. Now, you know, many of us have seen the TED Talk you did on creating positive change. And the TED Talk topic was change is magic. In that TED Talk, you talk about deception. Can you tell us a little bit about its relationship with change? I'm really glad you asked about that. Um, You know, it's interesting because we don't really know truly what the future is going to bring um, in, a, in an organization. We're kind of doing things and we're hoping and we're orienting our, ourselves in some direction. And that requires um, a ton of trust and, and be, between people uh, to be able to do that. And so when you're taking people through change, you know there, there are things known as the stages of magic. A magician is going to set the stage. They're going to set the context. They're going to take you on a, a shared journey while the whole time they're suspending disbelief, which is really important. Getting people to leave out the deep analysis and trust the experience and trust the journey. And then that magical experience ends up with something called surprise. And because people are surprised and it's magic, that's quite delightful. A parallel journey would be, you know, there's a con man and they set the stage and they set the context and they suspend your disbelief that you should trust them. And then there's a surprise, but you're not delighted because they stole your car, your wallet, your bank account, you know, whatever that is. And that that is deception. So what a magician does is essentially creates magic for you. But what you perceive as magic, like, wow, that just happened. I'm surprised and I'm d- and delighted. The magician deep, na- deep down knows that they are deceiving you. 
and you know that they're deceiving you too. But what is really interesting about that relationship is that you feel like you trust them for some strange reason. And we, we experience this all the time you know, in, in our lives. If you met your favorite actor or actress, you would trust every word they say, even though every moment of every digital experience you got from them was an absolute lie because they're acting. That's not truly them. That's not truly their personality. But even though you only saw deception from them, you trust them a hundred percent. You know, they, some of the other things that are you know important, there are different types of effects that happen in magic. Something vanishes, something appears, um, something transforms from one thing to another. A prediction is, is made. Um, th- something moves from one place or teleports from one to another. These are, these are really interesting uh, design metaphors for thinking about change. Well, what are we really doing? Well, we're trying to make that old product disappear or we're trying to transform this thing that's the prototype into something else. And so there's a lot of language that's used solely, I guess, in the magic community that I think is a really fun way to build trust with your team and really think about change in a different way. Oh, I love that, Mike. I love, well, first of all, I'm sold. I want to, I want to listen to the, te- watch the TED talk. <laughs> I haven't seen it yet, but I'm sold. I want to watch it, but I'm just curious. So metaphor analogy, is, is there, how does this play out in, could you give an example of like uh, what would happen, you know, as a TD professional in an organization? Yeah, there's, there's, um, there's a really good book called uh, Marketing Metaphoria. Uh, by Lindsay and Gerald Zaltman. Um, they have done tens of thousands of interviews. And what, what they've discovered is that there are really seven big metaphors that people anchor reality around. Balance, container, control, connection, journey, resource, and transformation. What's really interesting, and I don't know that you would find this easily, but it's in the magic community, is Any illusion that you see violates one of those things. I can't pour five gallons of water out of an eight ounce cup, right? But your perception of learning balance is the same as someone's perception learning balance by riding a bike um, in South Korea. We all start to anchor our reality around these big, as they call them, the giant metaphors of balance, container, control, connection, journey, resource, and transformation. So what's re- really interesting as, as learning, you know, if, if you look back, I don't know, let's say 10 or 15 years ago, or even 10 or 15 months ago, a lot of the metaphors that are present at, when we think about design are maybe focused on resources and the container, right? I need, I need my scorn package. That's a resource. I need the container. That's, that's the LMS. And so we spend a lot of time on what I call the anchor metaphors that prevent us from changing. When we start to look at those seven uh, big metaphors and say, well, what are we, what are we really trying to do? Well, the future for being a, a great, you know, learning designer or experience designer or learning experience designer, it's really about thinking about the journey. It's not, it's not a singular point. There's a journey that someone is on and there is some type of connection that they need along that journey, connection to the right person, connection to the right information, connection to the right experience. And so it's fun to look at any change situation and say, well, what are the anchors metaphor wise that people are stuck with? And then what are the new metaphors that we want to get them thinking about and considering? And then how do we, you know, together work to create experiences that give people the opportunity to start to think in these new metaphors. Oh, I love it. Yeah, that really makes it real for me. So thank you. 
Now, we know you are a super busy man. And one of the things that you did uh, a little while ago is you did a presentation for our sister chapter, the ATD Greater Boston on adaptive learning technology. I'm curious, in the post-COVID era, how do you anticipate adaptive learning technology impacting our learning ecosystem? Well, it, it depends. I'll, I'll say this. So adaptive learning um, can mean a lot of different things, right? So if you're zoomed out at, at the max level, you might think about adaptive learning like the Amazon metaphor. I'm, I'm in my learning management system. I'm in my learning experience platform. I'm just in my learning portal, whatever that is. Well, based on what I've done, what's the next thing I might do next, you know, on my journey? And that's sort of, you know, the macro adaptive view. And then you could get down into the micro adaptive view. I'm in a scenario. I'm choosing something you know, based on what I choose. I'm presented with a different scenario. And you have all these you know, types of branching things uh, that are potential. There are, I'll say, innovations in, in technology like AI machine learning that are supporting a lot of these things. But you know, there's, there's a lot of different technologies, right? You've got uh, Lyceum by Area 9. You have Fulcrum Labs. There's, there's an organization called Zoomy. Uh, .ai that has some fascinating take on adaptive learning. So to tease out an example, you want adaptive learning, but you don't want to have to redesign all of your stuff. They eat your SCORM package. Then they use artificial intelligence to create an information model that if you fed it your design documentation, it would tell you, this is my coverage from content to design. This is my coverage from assessments to content. That's fine, but that's not adaptive learning. But they insert themselves between the LMS and the content, uh, like something like uh, SCORM Dispatch would. And real time, they monitor a bunch of user behaviors like skimming, skipping, tracing, all of those things. And then they reconfigure and re represent the content for you. Uh, just have a bunch of different adaptive learning projects that what we're really looking at is does it produce higher outcomes in the same amount of time? Does it produce better outcomes uh, faster? And so, you know, adaptive learning is helpful at time compression. It's helpful at, it, you know, ensuring that, you know, people have really the opportunities to practice. So I'm seeing a lot more conversation about adaptive learning. I'm seeing a lot more people piloting it and seeing, is the juice worth the squeeze? You know, we're going to have to rearticulate content. Maybe in some cases, we're going to have to customized content to put into this platform, you know, is, is this going to be something that we want to do? Now, there are different domains where that becomes kind of interesting. I mean, because compliance training is not necessarily exciting all the time. It's more like, did you read it? Yes, check. And we have a record in the system. But compliance training could get some serious new life uh, breathed into it. We have a pilot that's uh, launching in five weeks for a global organization that's taking the compliance training and turning it into something that's contextually relevant, that people have the opportunities to get through potentially faster, but they have the opportunities to practice some of those things. And when you go beyond compliance training and say, well, what about DNI? Well, DNI training is generally okay. Sometimes it's not that good. Sometimes it's pretty good. But what could you do with putting people into different scenarios and really allowing them the opportunities to fail where there's zero consequence versus the real world when they make that true DNI mistake or the compliance mistake um, or whatever that is? So I, I, I really like it, you know. Uh, being a fan of Dr. Allen because uh, I'm part of Allen Interactions now and his context challenge activity feedback framework, well thought design 
contextually relevant experiences and the right adaptive learning platform could have a lot of application to reduce the amount of time people are spending in compliance training, get better outcomes, but also to teach people harder, harder things that are higher risk as well. Wow, this is super fascinating. I mean, there's so much in terms of the wealth of information that we can gather from this. Um, Mike, I know that you happen to be an advisory board member helping HR.com. Do you mind sharing with us what that entails and what recommendations would you have for people interested in advancing the HR profession? Absolutely. So known the folks over there, um, Gavin and, and, and the team and uh, Dr. Heidi Scott um, joined them as their uh, CLO a couple of years ago. And I, I love the community that they've built to advance the profession and the thinking and cross-pollinate really things that are happening in learning with HR and HR uh, with learning and create more of you know some harmonious collaboration and, and knowledge there. I, I got asked to participate because um, they really want to understand you know the state of learning engagement and really understand what organizations were doing related to technology to support ecosystems. Um, and so with that group, uh, that advisory group, um, got to collaborate with some really fun and awesome people that I've known and get to see occasionally now on Zoom as we have our quarterly meetings and really start to think about what are the vectors of change that are out there? What are the vectors of things that are interesting that people are measuring? How do they perceive you know, their, their measurements around those things? How do, they, how do they think about what good looks like? And so put out the uh, learning engagement uh, survey last year, and now we're working on uh, some additional uh, industry survey instruments to understand you know, what changes are taking place in L&D um, as a result, uh, and, and HR, you know, as a result of COVID, how are people, you know, how are people thinking differently about the space? We're still kind of early in, in this um, next step, but we'll be continuing some of the previous data collection that we did, which was kind of um, interesting. So LinkedIn Learning a few years ago said, you know, 90% of CEOs see that closing the skills gap is is number one business imperative. And then ROI is like their, their uh, you know, number two However, 8% of the Fortune 500 CEOs said that they see business impact from learning and development, and 4% only see ROI. What, what we found interesting in the uh, HR.com stuff is 16% of L&D leaders that were surveyed actually said, we think our learners are engaged. We think there's a good degree of engagement. And about I think it was about 22% said we, we're doing about the best job we possibly can. So we're looking at different angles, essentially, of like, how is, how is the executive team perceiving the effect of this? And how are people perceiving their own personal you know, effect along the way? And how are they perceiving the engagement? And these are all hard and kinds of fuzzy things. Um, ATD, I think it was a little over almost two years ago in DC had a uh, kiosk and you could tag what your top pain was in L&D. And we, and we all kind of know what they are, right? Measuring business impact, working with SMEs, getting time for training. There are all of these different things. So, you know, as you zoom out or, or zoom in, there's, you know, there's a range of challenges. At the end of the day though, design thinking will make you a changed ninja. Oh, I love that. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's incredibly valuable to think about, especially from that perspective, as people are thinking about what can they do, what 
what can they bring into their organizations that might be able to elevate or to advance? And along those lines, I'm curious if there are any mistakes that you commonly see making. I know there are a lot of organizations who either have brought in design thinking or want to bring it in. So I'm wondering for those organizations out there, for everybody who's listening, who would like to use design thinking, but want to avoid the pitfalls. Any tips, any advice for bringing that in and really ensuring that design thinking helps your organization get where you'd like to go? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I think one one of the challenges that I've seen in applying uh, design thinking to learning organizations is not all, but a lot of design thinking is framed around new product or service design in some ways. So I think as people learn the tools, there's a little bit of, of a challenge on, yes, and how do I apply this to this thing, <laughs> right? There's some contextual reframing that, that needs to happen a little bit. I've, I've gone through this pain. I have um, an article in Learning Solutions Magazine called Applying Design Thinking to Your Learning Organization. And I unpack some of the, the simple tools that you can kind of start running with um, out of the gate. I think the other thing is there's there are so many different tools. And one of the challenges is kind of like knowing what tool does what job. There's a great book called Game Storming by Dave Gray, James McAnufo, and Suni Brown. It's essentially the grim fairy tales of, of design thinking. They went out, they collected all of the different types of tools and all kinds of things that people are using. They pulled them together in one book. And they and there's some facilitation and exercise design. It's it's the number one resource that I recommend uh, for people because it's not just product and service design. It's like effective uh, templates for uh, meet collaborative meetings and visualization stuff. Um, that I would say is all in the frame of design thinking, but it's some things that you might not learn in other places. I I, I think it's really important to not be the only person that's doing it. You at least need your confederate working with you or a number of people that say, hey, we're going to learn this together because of the peer um, support uh, that you get from learning and trying and you know thinking in an agile way is, is something that's really critical. I've taught teams of 40 people how to not just do design thinking, but to learn design thinking by doing it and by building something, whether it's a product or a transformation plan or a learning experience, you know, whatever, whatever it is, but having that shared journey with people um, is, is really important. And then setting up some structures. So, you know, whether it's a community of practice or just an email chain or Slack channel or something so that you're sharing successes um, that one of the things is people say, it's great. You implemented design thinking. You haven't seen anything. So making sure that the team is sharing success with each other, sharing best practices, sharing tips and tricks um, along the way. I think there's a lot of things that you can do that are easy that will that will save you some uh, pain later. Relevant to you know applying it for learning ecosystems and for uh, innovation. Uh, design. Um, I have a whole resource site that I put up with a bunch of white paper articles, how to's and uh, downloadable templates for learning ecosystems and innovation and a few other things. And that is at alaninteractions.com slash future proofing. We will make sure that we share that on our episode page. Um, if you visit dcetd.org, we will make sure that we share that link. That sounds fantastic. But I am so glad that you spoke to 
the role of collaboration, really. I think that's what that boils down to, the concept of collaboration as part of design thinking and about really making sure that you're maximizing the use of some of these principles in an organization. I think you're right. Too often we end up finding that it's just one person trying to drive these efforts or one person who's kind of the champion. But when you're able to bring a team together, that's where you start to really unlock some of the opportunities that you know, otherwise you probably, you may not notice, or you may just not have the support to be able to really get up and running. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a- absolutely. I, I use the term confederate and, you know, I'll, I'll unpack that a little bit. So a magician's on the stage, he's blindfolded, someone secretly hides an object in a theater, and then some random spectator walks with the magician and the magician finds that. Well, that's not magic. That's called a confederate. That's a person that's in on it that you don't know is in on it. If you want to be you know, a change maker, you want to build your confederation of, of people that are in on, hey, what we're doing, whatever got us here won't get us there. We're, we're, if we want to do differently, we need to think differently. And we're, we're going to do this together, whether it's overt or covert. <laughs> so that's, that's, you know, that's an important step to building change and any other change that I've coached in different organizations. Like, Hey, who thinks most like you that says, we just got to find a better way. Have coffee with them a lot, make a cup of tea and sit on zoom. Cause that's what you're going to do, but spend that time and, and get on the same page for the, you know, the change that you want to create in the world. A lots of great information, Mike. And we're going to ask a little bit more of you here. <laughs> So at the end of every episode, we like to ask our guests five rapid fire style questions. So each question requires less than 60 seconds to respond. Are you ready? Ready, Freddie. I almost feel like I need to go, are you ready? (laughs) (laughs) Like wrestling style. I love it. Yes. (laughs) So now the first one, um, I'm going to make a little more difficult. So you've shared business model generation, marketing metaphoria, game storming with us. So in addition to those, give us one book that all TD professionals must read and why. All right. Well, I, I would say this. I, I think there's a lot of books out there that, that are TD related, you know, that I could recommend. But I, I think we're we're in a hard world. What we do is demanded, but there's not enough of us. And our time uh, is extremely challenged. And we're looking for inspiration and a little bit of fun. I mean, right now, the thing that I think is missing from the world is surprise and delight, You know, which is magic. We don't get surprised all that much where there's delight following it. So if you want to pick up a good book, there's a good book called Do the F- Work. And, and, and you are just, you're just going to smile. It's well-designed. It's very thoughtful. And and this comes from a group called good design advice. And they have an (laughs) an inspirational poster that I have on the, the, the back of the wall behind my door in my office. And I've got one here too. And this is one of those things that you could pick up and have a bad day and, you know, just be like, all right, I got this. So it, it'll give you a little bit of solace and a little bit of humor. Okay, awesome. So now next one, give us one tool that you recently learned about and immediately started using. So one tool that I recently learned about, I, I learned from about it from uh, Josh Painter, uh, who, who's, a, who's a brilliant person at Degreed. He asked me a question. He said, what tool do you use to take notes? And I said, uh, I use the Toto tool. He said, well, what's that? And I said, it's a word document called 
Toto or to do. And I jam <laughs> and I jam stuff in there beginning of the week and balloon everything out. And at the end of the week, I take it and I kind of graduate it into whatever container you know needs to go in. And he said, you need to check out Rome Research, R-O-A-M research.com. And I said, oh, okay, I'll check it out. And he said, let me show you. And then he did. And then my brain exploded. It is an unbelievable sort of really easy way to take notes, um, tag things and organize, and it stores it all in a graph database that's super searchable. So any conversation that you had with anyone or about anything, you could recompose that information from all of your stuff. It's flipped my brain up upside down because my brain was right side up using a tool that was upside down. Now I have a tool that's right side up. So I've got to flip my brain back, back around the right way. <laughs> okay. You heard it here, folks. A way to flip your brain around. Use the roamresearch.com tool. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Okay. Next one. What is the best piece of TD-related, talent development-related advice you've ever been given? <laughs> um, I, I, I was an attendee at a conference um, a, a number of years ago and called Up to All of Us. Um, and it was a lot, a lot of learning people. Um, and when, when I showed up for the conference, uh, you know, you got your little notebook for the weekend uh, and instructions and all our warm up and campfire exercise. But in the notebook um, and all, over, all around the conference were these, these little black and white stickers that said JFDI uh, on them. And, you know, as, as the weekend emerged, the meaning of what JFDI uh, actually emerged, you guys, anyone want to venture a guess what JFDI stands for? That might be dangerous. I'll, I'll, we'll take, let's take the, <laughs> since I already bro broke some rules, I'm sure. Oh, wait, I get it. Just effing do it. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, it. we, we, I, we dance around hard things. Like, you know, the business is always a scary thing. Oh, they're going to take our budget. They're going to do this. Not if you just do it and like do something with impact and step up and, you know, step in and go out on a limb. You know, we, people view us as order takers. Well, let's not take orders. Let's go tell people what they need to eat. There you go. JFTI. Hey, I, I have a new sticky I'm going to put on my computer monitor now. Okay. Next one. What's one thing you're excited about that's coming up in 2021? I'm excited in 2021 uh, for a book that should be coming out in July. Um, Brandon Carson uh, wrote the book, Learning in the Age of Immediacy, and he has a book called The Playbook for L&D Success, and I've seen components in it, and I wrote some case study and some pieces in it, and Brandon's thinking is awesome, and I think it's going to be a good guidebook for people in L&D, and I, I think it's going to make a difference for a lot of folks. Excellent. Okay, final question. What is the one thing within the ATD community, not the ADD community, well, maybe that too, that you're deeply grateful for right now? What I love about learning communities is the tribe, the mutual support that people have, the fact that you can pretty much reach out to anybody in learning and say, hey, I like what you're doing. I, I, I'm interested in learning more about it. Or I like what you're doing. I'm doing something similar. Would you like to chat? 
And 90% of the time, people are like, yeah, sure, let's jam. What I'm you know, really looking forward to is being able to have these serendipitous experiences again um, around that tribe, because I feel like, you know, we, we have to deliberately make time for a webinar. We have to make time for a podcast. But, you know, I, if we were all at a conference together and we just bumped into each other in the coffee line and started talking about dogs or cats or guinea pigs or elves or whatever, there are so <laughs> many random things that connect us that we, we just don't have the opportunity to explore. But there's so many similarities and, and differences, of course, but the similarities that bind us together as, the, as the, a learning tribe. I just love the community that has been built and the knowledge sharing and willingness to help one another. Oh, I love it. I agree too. Well, Mike, you've been amazing. You always are. That's why I love uh, working with you and always uh, talking to you about different things that we're doing. We're so happy that you joined us today and that you shared your wisdom with us and with our listeners. And I really love how open you are. And to be honest, I really do feel privileged that we have someone of your caliber on our podcast because the wealth of information that you share is simply amazing. So I want to thank you for your time. And I also want to thank my co-host as well. Same here. Thank you so much, everyone. Yeah, thank you so much. And thank you, Leticia, for being a fantastic host for us this week. Sure, anytime. Many thanks to our community for listening. And before we go, we have one message from our producer, Helena Hodges. Helena? Do you ever wonder how other talent development professionals are navigating our world? Or better yet, maybe you have a story to share. Then check out our Day in the Life of a TD Professional. If you're interested in being featured on our website, Submit your story at dcatd.org. Want to network with other chapter members? Join the Metro DC chapter of ATD members on LinkedIn today.